Hi, this is Paul Donison, and this is Confronting Our Idols, our Lenten podcast, which is a companion to our printed devotional. Each week, we'll be asking questions about various idols, and this podcast is meant to help unpack a little bit more of the detail and get you thinking. With this series, we're looking at idols. It's called Confronting Our Idols, and one of the questions we have to ask immediately is, why are we even talking about this? I mean, when you think of idols, you think of the Old Testament with golden calves and Asherah poles and the story of Dagon in 1 Samuel 5 through 7. Um, you think of these kind of stories that my kids are bringing home coloring pages from Sunday school with of idols and Old Testament stories. And that's not really the world we live in right now here in Plano or the greater North Texas area. So why bother talking about idols? Aren't idols a thing of the past? And, and it makes sense to ask that question, except when we realize what an idol really is. See, an idol, which, yes, the first two commandments deal with the question of worshiping God and not making idols. And the Old Testament and New Testament are full of these prohibitions around, you know, don't don't be an idolater, don't make idols, and here's what's going to happen if you do. Um, but idols really, scripturally, are pointing to anything that we put in the place of God, anything that will grab our trust, um, give us a sense of security. Um, those things that, you know, when I'm putting my head down on my pillow at night and I'm worried about something, whatever that thing that I'm clinging to is a potential idol. And so when we think of idols, suddenly in that light, man, idolatry is not something that's gone away. This is something that is absolutely prevalent within our Plano community, within our broader North Texas community. This is, hap- this is in our homes. This is in our schools. This is certainly in our workplaces and is is in those fears and those worries that we talk about as families and friends. So let's look at idols together. Let's look at the question of of what an idol is. Uh, What we're going to be pulling on a little bit in this podcast is to be a Christian, which is our new Anglican catechism. It came out a few years ago, um, general editor with G.I. Packer. So obviously, you know, it's got some very valuable, rich, deep theological reflection in it. Um, But now there's a new version that just came out, and they did change the numbers. So, by the way, if you've got an old version of the catechism, uh, come to the bookstore and get a new one or go online. I think you can print it or download it. Um, The point is, make sure you're using the new catechism because there are numbers associated. Um, Traditional catechisms always have numbered questions, and so we have the ability to go back to them. And we're going to reference some of those along the way. Um, I mean, certainly, let's start with one of the questions from the catechism. the Catechism, question 279. Um, so, you've, again, new version of the Catechism, number 279. Ask the question, are idols always images? It's always a question and answer approach to catechism within the Anglican prayer book and, and other traditions too. The answer to the question, are idols always images, is no. I'm reading from the Catechism. No, anything can become an idol if I look to it for salvation from my sin or comfort amid my circumstances. If I place my ultimate hope in anything but God, it is an idol. And so idols, again, are anything that we desire above God, anything we trust in in the place of God. And even we can try to have this sense of, of I'm worshiping God, I'm a, I'm a Jesus follower, and yet there'll be these idols that are creeping in at the margins, You know, an idol doesn't have to completely replace God to be an idol, but it's something that's beginning to get in the mix. You know, by that definition of what an idol is, I have to be honest in my own life as a Christian how much on a daily basis I've got idols 
that are potential idols that are standing at the door of my life, tempting me to say, will you trust me? Um, you know, there, there's, there's idol detectors in our lives. You can ask the question, where do I find my ultimate trust? Where do I look to for my most, most pleasures or most, what, what do I desire the most? Um, these kind of questions, what do I fear the most? Sometimes idols actually emerge out of a, a sense of fear. And then, and then how do we conquer that fear? These kind of questions to reflect on on a regular basis help us identify what those idols are. I know they help me in my own life, in my own prayer life, to, to pay attention. What are the idols? Doing a daily examine. That language, daily examine, is actually something we're doing on a regular basis, um, on a daily basis through this devotional. You'll see the daily examine. And that idea of stopping for a moment and, and reflecting on our hearts, reflecting on our minds, um, and asking those questions. And, and again, when I'm in retreat, when I go to my, my yearly retreat, in Murfield in England and stay at the monastery with the monks for the week. Really, I spend the first few days uh, essentially having to unpack all the potential idols that have, have crept into my life. And it, it, it can be a pretty long list sometimes. Uh, again, that idea that an idol doesn't have to replace God completely in our lives. We, we can be a good church-going Christian and yet have these idols that are standing in the margins and be just beginning to obscure our view of God. Tim Keller puts it this way. He says, an idol is anything more important to you than God. Anything that absorbs your heart and imagination more than God. Anything you seek to give you only what God can give. Anything that is so central and essential to your life that should you lose it, your life would feel hardly worth living. So with that definition of idolatry, the question is, what will idolatry do to us? You know, as I look at my own life and as I look at scripture and I look at the story of, of believers over 2,000 years, what are some of the things we see that happens in our lives when we give in to that temptation to be idolaters? Well, three things I just want to highlight quickly. Number one is that it distorts our view of God. Number two, it gives us a sense of control over God. And third, that we will become what we worship. So first, it distorts our view of God. It limits God. You know, whether we're looking at an, an image of God where we've fashioned a piece of gold or silver or wood or, um, you know, that we see in so many cultures around the world and different, um, different religious cultures, and we see again and again in Scripture in the Old Testament with the various nations around Israel. Uh, if we're looking at those kind of images, obviously, this is the act of limiting God. We're taking God who's invisible, who's, uh, you know, the creator over his creation, and we're limiting him. We're saying, no, God is like this. And in doing so, it's it's ultimate blasphemy, right? It's, it's taking the creator, being a creature, the creature saying to the creator, let me tell you and show you who you are. And it's limiting him. But it's it's not just limiting God when we use images, like actual little pagan images. It also limits God when we let our various other idols, like our bank accounts or our retirement savings or our status in our community or our sense that our, our, our children have got the best education and therefore are set up to have great futures. When those things can become idols in our lives, again, it's us limiting God because it's always taking good things. Idols, let's be clear, are almost always good things 
in and of themselves that we then distort when we make them an object of worship, an object of trust, right? Our status in the community. That's a good thing. Jesus wants us to be well thought of in the community. Uh, you know, he wants us to have houses and, and roofs over our heads. He wants us to have a future we can pay for. He wants our kids to be well-educated and have futures. All these things are, are, are important, good things. And I, I want those things in my life, and I know you do too. But when we make them ends in themselves, when we make them the ultimate good, they become an idol. And again, they limit God. We begin saying that all that God cares about in my life are these things. But God cares again and again so much more about every facet of our lives and our communities and our world. So first of all, idolaters limit God, right? By distorting our view of God by limitations in these idols. But also, secondly, idolatry gives us a sense of control over God because we essentially are making God into our own image. We are image bearers, Genesis 1 and 2, made in the image of God. And we have this terrible tendency to then want to sort of reverse engineer that and now make God in our own image and say phrases like this. I mean, I've, I've in my life at times said phrases like this, and I have to check myself that, oh, God would never do that. Well, stop when you find yourself saying those words. Is that based on your study of Scripture, on good theological reasoning based on the character of God revealed to us in Holy Scripture? Or is really your statement, God would never do that, or God would never say that? In fact, a reflection on your own sense of the God that you're making in your own image. Is it a reflection more of you than of who God is? And again, when we do that, we're really doing it to get a sense of control over God. Because if I can define God in my own image through this idol, then I feel like I've got a bit more control. But finally, it's not just that idolatry distorts our view of God by limiting God and gives us a sense of control over God as we try to make God in our own image. But idolatry ultimately destroys us because we will become what we worship. I love how David Foster Wallace says this. He says, pretty much anything else you worship other than God will eat you alive. Ultimately, that thing that you choose to worship will not just disappoint you in the long run because it can't do what you're asking it to do. You can't, it can't be God to you, but it will also ultimately destroy you and devour your life and your soul. Psalm 115 these powerful words that, again, are reflected throughout Scripture. Their idols are silver and gold, the psalmist writes. The work of human hands. They have mouths, but do not speak. Eyes, but do not see. They have ears, but do not hear. Noses, but do not smell. They have hands, but do not feel. Feet, but do not walk. And they do not make a sound in their throat. Those who make them will become like them. So do all who trust in them. This is the ultimate problem of idols is that the way God has constructed the cosmos is that if we worship him, we will more and more be made to be like him. But if we worship something else, we more and more will become like that thing. Here's what's incredible when you read the New Testament. I find this incredible. Is Jesus, when he's doing his healing ministry, 
especially in Mark's gospel. I mean, I, I was spending time there recently, and I noticed in Mark's gospel, especially chapter four, five, six, seven, eight, you'll see Jesus' miracles. And here's specifically what Jesus is doing with all these healings. He is making the mute speak. He's making the blind see, the deaf hear, and the lame walk. And in in one sense, those very specific healings are a curing and a reversal of the effects of idolatry. In other words, what Jesus is doing with his healing ministry is effectively saying over Israel and over the world, listen, you are an idolatrous people and you are living the effects of that idolatrous world. Now, let me be very clear. What I'm not saying is people who are blind are blind because they're idolaters. No, this is a broader biblical metaphor that Jesus is using to simply say, look, humanity as a whole is in bondage to these idols, and as a result, humanity is becoming just like those idols, blind, dumb, lame, deaf, and Jesus is coming in his power with his kingdom to make the deaf hear and the blind see, to make the idolater a true worshiper again and be freed. Ultimately, I guess that's where I want to leave us with this podcast is to say that Jesus is in the business of healing idolaters, of rescuing us from those things which we are in bondage to. And so I'm praying that every week as we walk through this, that not only are you in the daily exam and in the reading of scripture, in looking at those questions, digging into the areas where idols are present in your life, but also believing each and every day that this is precisely what Jesus is doing in his redemption for your life. He is coming into your life. He's coming into my life. He's coming into my wife and my children's lives and my friends and my neighbor's lives. And he is healing us of our idolatry. And so I pray that in Lent, we wouldn't just be identifying a bunch of idols, but we'd actually be walking in new freedom as Jesus frees us from those. So just to be clear, each week on this podcast, I'm gonna teach about the specific idol for that week and how it manifests in our culture and our lives a little bit. And I'm gonna offer some encouragement to follow a discipline that will help combat the influence of this idol. I pray that this is a holy, reflective, examined, and freeing Lent for you, for me, and for everyone who's engaging with this devotional. So I hope you pick up your copy of our Lenten devotional, Confronting Our Idols at Church, or you can download uh, the devotional online at christchurchplano.org slash Lent. Thanks for listening. We'll see you next week.